Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. And as Jill said this morning, alive at nine, um, it is a time where it's worth having um, right thoughts on justice because globally, nationally, we've been wrestling with questions of justice, uh, trying to trying to frame. For example, our relations with Indigenous people in what's the right way to achieve just results there. Obviously, trying to achieve a just peace in Israel. These things are really pressing. Evangelicals have an uneasy relationship with justice. Um, We've historically framed the gospel as in some way, at least in contest with social justice. Um, hopefully we can, I can reframe things a bit more helpfully today, but uh, we have that sense that somehow social justice is versus the gospel, at least in where we put our efforts. Uh, so again, it's worth thinking carefully about it. Um, it's worth asking, asking what we mean by that word justice. If you look it up, it just says like the status of being just, which isn't really very helpful. Um, But what justness is, or what the term just means, is it means doing the thing that is morally right or ethically correct. And so what justice is, is seeking that, or getting to that state where people behave well morally and do the right thing. Um, So what you think justice is really heavily depends on what you think the good is. What's the ultimate good? Because that's what you're after. Seeking justice is trying to seek the ultimate good. And that absolutely is a contested space. It's one of the reasons why we find it so hard to frame the voice. People have very different views about what the ultimate goods are or even what all various goods are involved in it. And Australia is shifting very rapidly as a culture in what we think the ultimate good is. So, for example, if you are a capitalist, then the ultimate good is the individual and their capacity to um, live successfully. And so what justice is, a just society for a capitalist is one where everyone has equal opportunity. Everyone has the same chance to achieve financial or material success. That's justice. It's not about equal results, it's about equal opportunity. Um, If you're a Marxist, which is the opposite, um, the structures of society, the ultimate good, and equity there, and so justice is achieving identical economic rights for all people. Um, If you're a materialist, then your physical pleasure is the ultimate good. And then justice becomes utilitarian So it's about maximising happiness for the most amount of people. And you can do a lot of different maths about that. Um, How we've actually done it in reality in the West is that our minority bunch of Western people have maximised our um, pleasures and happinesses. 
at the cost of a whole lot of other people who have not had their happiness maximised. Um, but that's what you'll do if you're, if you're a materialist, that's the ultimate good. If you're a moralist or a legalist, then the ultimate, well, then law is, law at least describes the prime good. And so what you're going to try and do is get everything to align with the law. And so seeking justice is um, seeking the law to be applied. This is, Islam really is this. Apply the law, punish people who transgress the law, um, enforce the law. That's how we create the good. If you're a pagan, and paganism is on the rise, um, then nature is the ultimate good. And so what we do is we align ourselves with that. It's about getting the right biorhythms in a sense. We just need to fit with nature. I'll give you a couple of big words, just because people talk about it, um, or big moral views. Uh, if you are a therapeutic deist, yeah, therapeutic deism is basically that, um, and it's rampant in the church too, it's the idea that um, the ultimate good is your psychological health, really, and your physical health, but your health is the prime good. And so justice and achieving that is getting the right treatment. No one's evil, they're just broken and unhealthy, so we've got to sort that out by treating people um, with counselling, with drugs, whatever it is, but that's the problem. And the last little ethic is um, individualist individual expressivism or expressive individualism. Like people call it different things. But this is where we're rapidly heading towards. And that is where your self-determination is the ultimate good. Um, freedom for you to decide who you are, um, even at the ontological level, and decide to do whatever you want. That's the ultimate good. And so justice is freedom from oppression. Um, this view isn't really good at telling you what you're free for, because that's up to you. But you must be free from anyone else telling you what to do. So all these different competing goods. And we're in this sort of flux. And all this, this it's not like, well, there's very few people will be, just be one of these things. And we're sort of in the mix of wrestling with all these things. And these various goods are in the background of lots of our debates. So really what I want us to ask about us today is what's a properly Christian view of justice? What's the Bible's view of justice? What's the ultimate good? And I think, and I want to make a case for it, that the ultimate good in the Bible is described by the term shalom. Now, in the Old Testament shalom, it's a Hebrew word, and it sort of roughly translates as peace, but that's not a very adequate translation for it because it's a much bigger idea than just not fighting with each other. Maybe harmony is a better word than peace, um, or completeness, or fullness. And so, Shalom is conceived of this state where you are in proper harmony. And here's the interesting thing about it. It's a relational term. It's a relational harmony. Um, and there are four key things you need to be in harmony. Let me put it differently. There are four key relationships you are built for to be in harmony. Um, harmony with God, harmony with others, peace with others, harmony with the creation. And then one more which is a little less obvious but I think is really important, and it's harmony with yourself. 
Um, in the sense of knowing what you are, what your purpose is, um, how God has built you as an individual, and then sort of being content with that and working out where, where you're going to offer, what you're offering all the other relations. Um, so when, you, when you're in a state of shalom, you are enjoying living under God and with God. You're enjoying living in the creation. You're enjoying the, the people around you. Um, and you're enjoying yourself. But again, not so much thinking you're great, but you're content. You're happy with who God's made you and who's put you with and how he's built you and the gifts he's given you. Um, so shalom is this sense of I am fully, maybe dwelling is a good word, I am indwelling, I'm indwelling God's presence. I'm dwelling beautifully in this community. I'm dwelling in this place on this planet. Um, and I'm content with where I fit in all that. That's the, the vision of shalom. Um, so peace sort of makes sense why they translate it as peace. Um, but it's much bigger than peace. Those readings we've had before, um, and I'm going to stick mainly to Isaiah because Isaiah describes Shalom regularly, and particularly in context of what Jesus is going to achieve and what the kingdom will look like, but it does it in ways that are really beautiful and poetic, as we noted along the way. Um, so the first reading had was from Isaiah chapter 11, 6 to 8, which I think is the most um, evocative, perhaps. Um, this is absolutely a... a messianic part of Isaiah. This is what the new Davidic king is going to bring. He will establish this. Um, if you look at verse 2, he will certainly establish a right relationship with God. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Also, he will establish ridiculous and sort of over-the-top um, harmony and peace. The sort of peace where, and I don't think this is literal necessarily, maybe it is, but the sort of peace where wolves will dwell with lambs, leopards will lie down with goats, calves, the young lion and the fattened calf will be together and a child will lead them. So this deep, rich peace where all the tension's gone, all the fear, there's no fear. It's a removal of fear. Isaiah 2, the reading had, that describes the shalom between humans and God. In the last days, the mountain, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways and we will walk in his paths. In these last days, people, we will realign with God. We'll go up to that mountain and we'll dwell with God at that mountain. And all the way through, there's hints that the creation is part of this. I'll just read one that we didn't read that before. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. On this mountain, a lot of armies will prepare... For all the peoples, a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. Um, you'll enjoy all the fruits of the earth properly. Um, 
By the way, all this imagery is going back to, and this is really matters, I think, too, for your sense of justice. You've got to go back and see that this goes through the whole Bible, and it starts in Genesis chapter 1, where we are built with all these four things. We're built with purpose. We are built to care for the creation. We are built to relate to each other. Um, we're built as man and woman. We're not built to be alone, um, but we're given this stewardship job, stewardship job, and it's under God, and Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 sh- describe that, and then it all sort of falls apart, and we see Shalom ending, and we see, in, I can never say this word, enmity comes in, and we're scared of each other, and we're scared of God, and the relationship with the creation is damaged. It's really hard to get fine wine at age me. So Isaiah is this picture of all these things are realigning, and that's the gospel. You see it in Revelation too. It's no accident that it starts in gardens, ends in gardens. There's this sort of beautiful, rich picture of profound peace between God and people and the creation, and it's all joy. And there's, again, no accident that you'll see it here in Isaiah, no more tears. You'll see it in Revelation, no more tears. It's shalom, it's peace. That's the ultimate good, is getting all our relationships right. And it's rich and it's full, which is the problem with most of the other ethics that people run with, is they're really thin. They pick on one or two things and they um, exaggerate them. One or two good things, all those things I mentioned before have goodness in them. If that's what the good is, then justice and seeking justice is trying to... Realign all those things and restore all those things and re-establish all those things. Um, if you're a reader, um, the best person I think to read on this stuff, and he's a good Presbyterian too, is Nick Walterstorff. There's a great book called Love and Justice. It's not an easy read. It's a, um, a theology book, but I absolutely recommend it. Let me just read out a little bit about um, what he says about Shalom. He says, not only is Shalom God's cause in the world, but that all who believe in Jesus will, along with him, engage in the works of shalom. Shalom is both God's cause in the world and our human calling. Even though the full incursion of shalom into our history will be the divine gift, not merely human achievement, that matters. We can't pull this off by ourselves. We'll need God to help. Um, Nonetheless, it's shalom that we are to work and struggle for. We're not to stand around, hands folded, waiting for shalom to arrive. We are workers in God's cause. We are his peace workers. The Missio Day is our mission. So that's our calling, is to work for shalom. Now, I have four thoughts about that that I'll leave you with. If there's time, we can talk about it as a group, but here are four thoughts. First one is um, that we always need to maintain this sort of full and rich picture of justice. Um, evangelicals have prioritised, I think it's right to at least put it first, we prioritise the getting right with God relationship and said that's the most important um, and I think it is in the sense that obviously this is all under God. And I actually don't think you can achieve real justice without God um, being part of it. You'll conceive of it wrong. Um, you won't have the power to pull it off without the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot of reasons why you can't get real justice without God being at the centre of it. 
Um, and we need to get that right. But um, evangelicals have, over the journey, um, been strong on that, maybe quite strong on me and what I'm, my gifts, but then weaker on the social stuff and weaker again on the environment. Now, there's good reasons, not good reasons. There are real reasons why it is. Not good in the sense of the, um, there's no excuse for it. But there's reasons why it's like that. For the environment, for example, it's really only in uh, the last human's lifetime that we've, um, that we think about the environment the way we have, that we have any sense of control or influence over it whatsoever. Um, in the old prayer books, there were prayers for thank you God for me getting through the night and not dying. People would pray that in the morning. And um, even in the Bible, storms are not something that I think, oh yeah, our global warming has affected storms and we're creating superstorms. In the Bible, the storms are the powerful things and we are scared stiff of storms. So there's a reason why we haven't developed as strong an environmental ethic because we just haven't had the, the technological capacity to either damage it very badly or to think that we can look after it properly and care for it. But there's certainly no excuse for us. And, and let's not be too naive about that. Israel used to be beautiful and covered in forests and it was completely denuded. All the, all the cedars of Lebanon, Lebanon were just completely cut down to make stuff. And... But we sort of think of the Middle East there as a desert, but it wasn't a desert when humans first moved in. We turned it into a desert. Um, so we've been raking the planet for a long time. Um, so we need to hold all those things together as Christians. Keep a really full reach. Again, like I said, most of those other ethics point out important things. Um, I think it is important for people to have opportunity to fulfil how they've been built. And it is important for us to work for equity in society. And it is, we do want to um, maximise joy for people and so on and so on. But you need to have it all wrapped up together. So that's the first thing. Second thing I want to say is that because it is complex and rich and there's a lot of moving parts, um, we're going to have to do it together. We're going to have to recognise that each and every one of us will have different things to bring to the table in this, different passions, different callings, different gifts, different energies for different things. Um, we need evangelists and we need um, peacemakers and we need advocates for the poor and we need people who care for refugees and we need and just go down the list. Um, got a couple of examples actually um, we can stick up I've got a couple of photos they're in no real order there's a friend of mine named Rachel um, I actually haven't listened to this podcast but I, I, could, I just know it'll be brilliant because of who Rachel is and what she did I've known her for a number of years um, she's actually a video or like a photographer sort of but she's a photo journalist actually is her thing and she has been working um, in modern slavery she has spent time literally behind the scenes inside jails throughout Asia. Um, this is a podcast. Rahul um, is a, he's from fifth generation temple prostitute family. Um, that's why he ended up being a gangster. Um, and Rachel's she's this brilliant Christian woman whose whole ministry is very sort of secret and under the radar, um, but it's working to get people out of slavery. And it's brilliant. We need people like Rachel. We need to rejoice in people like Rachel. 
It's profoundly Christian too. The angle she brings to it, it's all about restoration and redemption. Um, it's not a crude sense of freedom or retribution. It's, it's a beautiful vision she has for it. Um, can we grab the next one as well? I should probably got a conflict of interest with this next one. Charlie Massey on the right. I don't know if anyone saw this guy on um, Australian Story. So he's, um, he's my brother's father-in-law. He's in our family. This is the farm we, the sheep farm we spend a lot of time on. But um, he's into regenerative, regenerative farming, trying to restore um, the environment in Australia. He's literally written the book on regenerative farming. He's um, incredibly influential. But also, he is a Christian, and it's subtle, but his whole thing is informed by environmental theology. He's got a massive library, almost as big as this shed. Um, and there's a huge section on it, environment in, on environmental theology. And it, it undergirds his thinking and it drives it and it goes around the, the planet, sorry, goes around Australia speaking about um, that relationship. He's not an evangelist, that's not what he does, but it's a profoundly rich, beautiful Christian ethic that frames what he's doing. Um, we need all these people. Um, and that leads me to my third Thing is be slow to diminish the justice battles that other people are fighting. Like we, we all pick our battles, we all pick the things that are on our hearts, the things that we can tackle and carry. Um, but be really slow to despise what somebody else is doing and not. But this is the value of having Shalom as your overarching good because you realise there is so we are built for so much and there are so many. Um, Again, so many relationships that need to be restored and realigned and need peace people, Christian peace people in the middle of them. Plenty to go around. Um, so don't despise other people, even as you have your own passions. Don't despise them as non-urgent or not as important. Um, and particularly don't despise them as non-gospel. Um, it doesn't have to be an evangelistic creed or... Um, <coughs> What those little books called? Trapped. Right, you don't have to just have a form, little formula and say that to people for it to count as um, being part of re-establishing Shalom. And last thing, and I don't have an answer to this last one, it's really something to wrestle with, is what this means too is we need to pick our allies carefully, I think. Um, we are not the only people with a vision for justice, we're not the only people... Um, and we will have to contribute. Like the voice is a really interesting debate where um, we have to be political people in Australia. We have to join in, but we just need to think: what are the grounds? This person I'm working with, actually, what are their grounds in the background, um, and just how much do we align with it? Um, I'll pick on America because that's like low-hanging fruit. But the the alignment of the evangelical right with the Trumpist agenda. Like, that's, that's a stunning... Okay, there are some things where perhaps there's an alignment um, in some of the ends that you're after, but how much compromise have you made at that point? Because there's such a tiny overlap of the things that we're seeking in terms of justice. Um, so maybe Christians and Trump align on abortion, for example, but... Everything else is just such a train wreck that how can you possibly do that? Um, so you need, and again, it will be to do with having a rich enough, if your ethic is rich and big, then that 
will probably limit or shrink the, the people you'll um, happily work with, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but um, just don't be naive about what is driving people in the background and just be careful about who you align yourself with. No answers to that. But the grounds really do matter. People are not... People are after an ultimate good, and we can't ever compromise our ultimate good is shalom, and a profoundly God-centred shalom, right with God, um, right with people, right with the, the creation, and um, in the right place for you. Let me pray, and then I don't know if there's any time for a chat, but we can do that. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did build us with purpose, and you built us um, to walk with you in the garden and to enjoy you and to live out your calling on our lives. Um, thank you that you built us for each other and to enjoy being with each other. Thank you that you built us to enjoy this gorgeous planet. And also that you made us individual and beautiful and special. And we pray that we would rejoice in all those things. And also, Lord, we're very conscious we're in a broken world where um, all those things are misaligned and relationships are damaged and broken in all those directions. And so we pray that um, we would be your peacemakers, your shalom seekers who would be working for the realignment of all those things. First and foremost, with you, Lord, but then as that flows out into every relationship and every um, way that we treat our world. We um, thank you for your love for Shalom and we long for it, Lord. And we do pray that we would be in alignment with your mission to re-establish it. And we pray that and thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.